I want to announce that Dubai Cares will be convening with all of you, unanimously taking all the content with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the UAE and Expo 2020 Dubai to convene the world's largest summit on education. Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast. I am Alberto Ligi, your host from London. And as our regular listeners know, the purpose of the podcast is to inspire you to be more philanthropic, to act more sustainably, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Please subscribe to the show. Please share the show with others. It makes a huge difference for us. And today, it's a really great pleasure to welcome on board Dr. Tarek Al-Gorg, who is the Chief Executive Officer and also sits on the Board of Directors of Dubai Cares. He is someone with a wonderful personality who I first met about four years ago now at the World Bank's Foundations Advisory Council. Uh, we've stayed in touch from time to time. And today we're going to talk about Dubai Cares. It is a global force in driving forward the global education agenda and collaborating with some amazing partners really across the board in a huge geographic footprint. And Tarek, welcome on board to the, uh, to the Do One Better podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Alberto. And, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to be on this show as well. Quite the opposite. Why don't we start a little bit with Dubai Cares? I know you've been there for over 10 years. It's just about since it started. Tell us a little bit about Dubai Cares and the work that it does. I'll take it a bit back um, on, on why Dubai Cares uh, um, got initiated or, or incepted. Mm -hmm. So back in 2000, if you remember, Alberto, um, um, the UN and the international community met at Dakar. They set eight goals and called them the MDGs uh, to eliminate poverty by 2015. Mm -hmm. And MDG2 was all about um, um, education. It was uh, access to primary education in developing countries. So it's very specific to developing countries, very specific to access and no quality and very specific to um, on the primary level. Yeah. And uh, five years after that, they met again with the international community and um, the UN officially declared that MDG2 will never be achieved by 2015. Mm. And, and, and in parallel, we have His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, who is the vice president and prime minister of the UAE and also the ruler of Dubai, who is a strong believer in education. If you ask me, what is the success story behind Dubai and the UAE, how we have reached whatever we have reached in 47 years, I would tell you there are two main things. One is the belief that the leadership had in education mm -hmm. and also into the youth because the youth were kept into high positions right from the beginning, not only 10 years ago, not five years ago, not 20, right from the beginning, they believed into the youth. And His Highness Sheikh Mohammed believed into the, these two powers and especially education. And he didn't like what was announced and he said, it's impossible for any nation to grow. It, it has the pillar is education. And that's the reason why he incepted Dubai Cares to be part of the story, to innovate new programs that can uh, uh, bring impact in a few years rather than waiting for a full decade or a generation to finish mm -hmm. their schooling. And, and that's the story of Dubai Cares. So what happened in 2007, once all the ideas and the strategies were put in place, His Highness had a uh, an eight-week fundraising campaign uh, to raise funds to establish a um, uh, charity. Mm -hmm. He didn't announce what, and he called upon uh, uh, private public sectors and even high net worth individuals to participate in this fundraising drive. And His Highness called upon all the donors and he announced that this money is going to go 
to the establishment of Dubai Cares, mm -hmm. and Dubai Cares will be tapping into X, Y, and Z, and he spoke about the whole thing, and then His Highness matched these funds. So we were able to raise $480 million from the private public sectors and high net worth individuals, and His Highness on the event, on the day of the launch, he matched it with another $480 million, which gave us a startup capital of $960 million that is back in 2007, in wow. September to be specific. Wow. And, and, and that month was Ramadan. And as you know, in Islam, Ramadan is the month of giving. So it was a very nice moment. So everyone gathered and they just wanted to commit funding to Dubai Cares. And he has set a target of providing 1 million children with access to, 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 to education. Mm -hmm. But his insight was not only to the MDGs, which is education only. He said, I need to do quality education because he knew that access doesn't solve the problem. It is quality education. And that was the target, 1 million children as a whole campaign. But 12 years down the road, we are now in 59 countries and we're providing education to more than 20 million children uh, in these 59 developing countries. So we're very proud where we have reached. And our main focus, if you can ask what we do and what we focus on, we fund and co-design programs uh, that eliminate the obstacles that prevent children and youth getting access to quality education. Mm -hmm. And that is, of course, divided into two parts. One is access and the second is quality. In access, we focus on uh, infrastructure. We right. build and renovate schools and classrooms. Uh, the second would be providing wash in schools, and mm -hmm. uh, we focus on building uh, uh, water wells, gender-specific latrines, hand-washing facilities, but also hygiene education and working closely with the Ministry of Education to build their capacity so they can train the teachers once uh, we leave, and, and that becomes a legacy. The third and fourth component um, of access, one would be health, and we, we are focused on uh, school-based uh, activities when it comes to neglected tropical diseases, so that's deworming, so mm -hmm. we're, we're focused on school-based deworming activities. And the fourth, nutrition, and, and we do school feeding and homegrown school feeding. Right. Of course, uh, the school feeding is the actual uh, normal model, import, store, and send to school. Uh, homegrown school feeding is all about not importing, but using the local farmers, part of the equation, they will harvest based on the ministry specification. It then goes to centralized kitchen for fortification and then to school. In access, we focus on uh, teacher training, curriculum development, literacy, numeracy, and early childhood development. Mm -hmm. And we work everywhere from preschooling to primary to secondary to tertiary education. We also have a component to the youth. So if you call it youth empowerment, I would say we do two parts. One is we focus on school children where we develop their uh, vocational skills and their entrepreneurial skills. So that is in schools and also build the capacity of the ministries to provide them with that sort of training. And then if we target the youth who are out of school, we tend to work closely with the government to see the unemployment rate, how high or how low it is, and we help shrink that percentage downwards so we can provide them with the right skills to be part of the economy. So let's say if a country is booming in tourism, then we will get the unemployed youth, train them to speak, first of all, English, and then train them to be in, in the hospitality sector, and then maybe becoming certified tour guides. So that's um, on, on, on a programmatic level, but gender equality is a cross-cutting theme as well. Uh, girls' education is something uh, very important to us. Yes. And we have uh, one third of our annual funding goes towards education and emergencies. And we invest a lot in research, 
thematically and programmatically. Mm -hmm. And what's it like reaching 20 million beneficiaries in 59 countries? I know you, you collaborate closely with a range of organizations, anything from the Aga Khan Development Network to Co-Impact to Education Sub-Saharan Africa, you know, different sizes, different geographic areas, different themes. How difficult is that? Well, there are two folds to this. One of them is a bit funny, which I will share very quickly. Great. And then, and, and then I'll go to the real stuff. So, so first, it, what it takes is for someone like me to sacrifice one part of my life. Mm -hmm. My life, anyone's life, is actually divided into three parts. Eight hours of sleeping, <laughs> eight hours of work, and eight hours of being with your family, mm -hmm. friends, and personal time. Mm -hmm. And I had to sacrifice one of those. I can't sacrifice my sleeping. I can't sacrifice my work. So I'm left with the third part of my eight hours, which is also divided into three parts. Mm -hmm. I have to give my eight hours to my friends, family, and myself. And I chose to sacrifice my friends, actually, um, Alberto, because without uh, sacrificing one of those, I won't be able to do it. So you have to sacrifice something into your life if you are really passionate and dedicated towards this. And, and that's what I gave into my life. And, and, and I was uh, very lucky to have an incredible team at Dubai Cares who I did not encourage them to do the same thing, mm -hmm. but eventually they started uh, copying me into their lives. And I told them, listen, that's not me. You shouldn't follow me into that. Just follow me at work. But I'm, I'm really grateful to my team, how they are also passionate and, and they're also uh, sacrificing some of their personal time. So that's one. That's on a, on a, on a personal level. Mm -hmm. on, on a career level, I mean, I know John Goodwin was one of the people you interviewed and, and, and you had the, the podcast with and, mm -hmm. and he's in charge of uh, Lego. And, and how we built Dubai Cares for the past 12 years is exactly how a child builds um, a piece from Lego pieces. We started with primary education, Alberto. So we had to select UN agencies and international and local NGOs solely focused on primary education or they're very well focused on primary education. Mm -hmm. Soon after that, by two or three years, we realized that no, the problem starts much before the primary level. It starts with the early years. So we jumped into early childhood development and we started doing the health care component of ECD, but also the education component, which is the preschooling. And we did phenomenal jobs. And then we came to realize two years after that, but that's not the equation. A secondary has to be part of the game. Otherwise, those students or those children will never graduate. They will drop out after primary level. And that's what happens. The biggest dropout rates happens after the primary level. And then we said, let's go into secondary, but let's take it one step at a time. Let's go to lower secondary. And that will be the transition period between uh, primary and secondary to keep the children in school, not to let them drop out and then take it up a notch and take them to the secondary level. So as you see, each level we jumped in the education spectrum, it, it took us two to three years to build these pieces. And that's why I, I put the Lego pieces in together because you have to build it brick by brick when it comes to the Lego pieces. And the same thing would come when you're establishing uh, an NGO um, or a philanthropy. You cannot go and copy paste 100% of an existing one and say, that's what I'm going to do. You mm -hmm. won't be able to put the strategies right, definitely, and even the processes and the working model. So that's how it is. And while we're building ourselves into that, and now, of course, recently we're doing 
youth skills and the future jobs and connecting them with the job market and tertiary education. Mm -hmm. We also have new partners. And as you go on, you have to, you know, you have to take risks as a, as, as a donor, as a philanthropist, as a philanthropy, you really have to take risks into, into having innovative models so you can eliminate the, the issue quickly. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait. I'm 12 years young as an organization. I cannot wait 12 years till I see the first impact. So I have to have my monitoring and evaluation metrics on how to measure these metrics, whether it's giving me the right impact now in two, three years, at least the indicators to these metrics. So if you get the metrics right and it can show you an early indicator of success, that's how you do it. So you, we pilot programs that are based on existing evidence and we test and pilot those in countries where, where governments are integrated within each other. So the Ministry of Education is properly in the heart of, of, of the cabinet of that country. Mm -hmm. And then we have to select the right partners who are attached with these ministries of education and they have existing relationships with them. And, 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 then, and then checking whether they are working in line with the ministries of strategy, because we're not gonna go into the back door whenever we go into a country. We're gonna go from the front door with our partner, we were going to co-design something in line with the ministry's strategy. Mm -hmm. So uh, it took us a long time. And if you see our the, the number of partners that we have, if you're going to ask me this question 10 years ago, and you tell me, how are you you're going to select your partners? It would have been a bit difficult answer to me. But today, living this whole thing from the beginning, and you see how every single block has been built, you realize that you don't need a guide or guidance on, on, on how we should work for the next 10 years. Uh, we know what we want. We know what the sector wants. We are involved in any platform that is thematically linked to any education component. Mm -hmm. and, and we have a voice. We share our experiences. Because what makes us unique, Alberto, is, is we fund anyone that is into the sector. We're not limited to UN agencies or uh, renowned international NGOs. We go until the grassroots. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and, when, and when you start funding in countries such as Kiribati and, and Vanuatu in the Pacific or islands in the Caribbean or some Latin countries, because most of them are middle-income countries and above and, 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 and international aid doesn't go to these type of countries and we're involved there as a Middle Eastern philanthropy going to Latin America or Caribbean or Pacific, uh, uh, that n not everyone can go and the learnings you get from there and the partners you deal with, those people are not on the map when it comes to development. Right. UN right. agencies and internationals, they don't know of them. So we are the ones who will take the risk. We will pilot all of these programs and it, it's our job to bring them on the map and bring them to the development sector on the shelf of the development sector. Are you generally proactive looking out for partners in different parts of the world? Or do they generally come up to you onto your radar both. and then both? Both, Alberto, all the time. We we are on the lookout. Uh, we they knock our doors all the time. And they're diverse, right? In other words, some of them are huge in terms of their balance sheet. Other ones might be smaller. What is the key thing that they have as an undercurrent? Is it uh, risk taking? Is it innovation? Is it evidence based? What what would you say? Well, well, thank you for answering those three. Those three are definitely there. <laughs> I threw them in for you, but I know that they're there for you. <laughs> um, yes. I mean, whoever, look, any anyone you're going to team up with, they're going to give you a concept note. Mm -hmm. From that concept note, 
you see if there's any innovation. You see if there's any reliability on evidence. And experience also plays a role. But then you have another uh, type of, uh, of an implementer mm-hmm. who just started. Now, how can, you, um, how can you take a risk on an NGO that has just started or an, implement, uh, an, an implementer? Sure. There's a lot of accountability. There's a lot of credibility. You wouldn't know them. But then the, um, the shareholders or the board of trustees also plays a role on who they are. And, and, and based on their strategy, their mandate, and, their, and the potential donors that, that are going to come in, that makes our lives much more easier to fund them. I'll give you one small example. Mm-hmm. When we first started in the early years, um, less than a year, um, uh, Bill Gates came to Dubai and he signed a four-year uh, partnership with Dubai Cares. And each of us, us and BMGF, we committed to $50 million each towards school health and nutrition. Okay. But uh, no strings attached. Anyone can do anything with anyone. We only had a reporting system on what we did. And in some of the programs, we actually went in together and we co-funded it part of the 50 million each, so part of the $100 million. And at that time, we were new. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we wanted to approach uh, the entire education sector globally. And we didn't have that reach. I mean, we had the reach with, uh, to, 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 to the usual suspects, such as UNICEF, UNESCO, Save the Children, um, um, Care International. Yes. But what about the hundred other organizations? We didn't, we didn't know of them. We didn't know about them. And, and because of that, that got an international hype, that signing, that picture mm-hmm. uh, on the MOU. And, and it opened a lot of doors to us, to the West. And the West started talking that if Bill Gates flew all the way to Dubai to sign this, that's a reliable organization. Yeah. And, 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 and that helped us a lot, actually. So a lot of credit goes to Bill Gates as well. But then what happened gradually when we started becoming this education beast uh, after four or five years, mm-hmm. some small um, implementers started popping up. I'll give you one example. The End Fund, if you heard of them, mm-hmm. they do D work. The End Fund came to us and they said, hello, um, we are called the End Fund. We did not start anything yet. These are our plans and we want to start. And we have those potential donors and we have those confirmed donors, but they haven't transferred anything yet But because we haven't signed anything, but we're on the way on signing and that's what we want to do. And these are our plans and those are our board of trustees. And we met with their board of trustees. We took a risk. So the first million dollars that went into the end funds bank accounts was Dubai Cares money. And look at the end fund today where they are. So like the opportunity we got, we have to give exactly or a similar opportunity to others that we believe that they can also become another education or another school health and nutrition beast as well. And, and, and there are some other successful uh, successful stories, whether it's Senegal with Ared from a small NGO to a big NGO that has been recognized by the ministry today. Ared has an office in the ministry because of the program that we funded with Ared directly and mm-hmm. the ministry was not even involved. And then and then the program has scaled up. So so you learn as you go and as much big you become globally, us here inside, we see we still see ourselves very small. And, and there's a lot of room to build ourselves, but we also look at the newcomers into the sector that we have to support them as well, exactly how we were supported. Mm. And that's how you build your network, uh, Alberto. 
What do you say to those newcomers? Because a lot of the times, and this is, I think, a perennial problem where you have a lot of well-meaning organizations and philanthropists with a big heart, but they may be duplicating efforts. They may not know of each other's existence. You have little pockets of collaboratives and people trying to collaborate and, and drive, um, drive education forward, but they may be doing it in a way that doesn't necessarily leverage of what other people are doing or what other groups are doing. In your case, you have this sort of helicopter view. You can see what's going on at the global level within education, within Sustainable Development Goal 4, and related goals like you know gender equality and so forth. Um, what advice do you have for those smaller philanthropic entities and philanthropists who are genuinely looking for guidance and direction? They may be doing ad hoc projects here and there, but maybe that's not going to move the needle in any substantive manner. What would you say to them? Well, look, um, when we first started, we didn't get the formula a hundred percent how we are today, right from the beginning. We, as, as I mentioned earlier, we, we, we grew as, 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 as we went on and on and we learned a lot. And, mm -hmm. and, and especially when it comes to, to, to the aspect of how should things be done, uh, things has to be designed to be scaled. Um, um, uh, you have to attach yourself with the ministry. You have to partner with the right, so uh, with the right partner or the implementer. So we went through this and we learned as we, 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 we grew basically yeah. for the newcomers who are coming in now globally as philanthropies, as donors or as implementers uh, are concerned, we have a good number of, of donors and implementers when it comes to SDG four. Let, mm -hmm. Let's not talk about education now. I'm gonna I'm gonna make the the, the talk much broader to SDG four. And and if a newcomer joins in, my only advice is seek out to them. Seek out to the existing ones who are not too old uh, in terms of uh, inception. Mm -hmm. um, 10, 15 years old. Uh, some which are five years old, and go to the old ones which are the giants which are 30, 40 years old and take advice on how they develop their own systems, learn from them. Because unless you have big budgets and you have patience and you can spend money and wait until you get the model right the way you want it, then so be it. But why invent the wheel? When you have organizations which are existing, which went through all of this and has perfected this now as we speak, post uh, MDGs, so let's say 2015 and, and beyond, you don't need to go and invent, reinvent the wheel because they have reinvented the wheel, not only reinvented the wheel, but, but, but they're perfecting the model. Yeah. So if there are organizations which are known globally that they're perfecting the model, my only advice is seek to those organizations and, 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 and ask them questions, they will guide you. And that's exactly what we did. I remember those days when, when, uh, when we started I remember myself flying to DC, flying to London, flying to New York, flying to um, um, some African uh, countries, and flying to Paris, and meeting with UN agencies, with donors, with 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 the NGOs, local and international, of course, and seeing what is the right system. Yeah, you learn as you go. Absolutely, you keep on learning as you go. You keep on tweaking, amending your working model. But without asking, you will never get it right. And, 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 and I had a team at that time. It was a much smaller team than I have now. But part of their jobs, once they're in a country for a meeting, 
they make a side meeting with one or two or three of those, uh, the experienced ones, and mm -hmm. they learn from them. Mm -hmm. We sit with governments, Alberto. We ask governments, what is the best way to connect with you? What is the best way for our program to be, uh, to be, to be adopted by you in five years' time after our funding stops? And, and, and then that's where you learn how to design to scale. And it's mm -hmm. very important when it comes to SDG4, you have to design to scale. Don't design something and say after five years, if it succeeds, then I will see how I will scale it up. No, no, no. Have that right from the beginning. Park it, wait five years, and then bring that component because you will have it ready. Mm. It will be very hard to design how the scale up should be if you don't do it right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, so you learn as you go. And at the same time, seek existing ones, learn from them, whether those are government or non-government. And that engagement with national governments is imperative, right? Is it difficult to, because governments come and go, in some countries you have some stability, in others you may not. How do you ensure that it's long-lasting, whatever engagement you might do in a specific country, so that the project, while it might be sustainable on it, in its own right, isn't necessarily subject to the winds of an incoming or an outgoing Minister of Education. Yeah, that's uh, a tricky one. If you're going to ask me a question, yeah, it, it is a tricky one. But if you're going to ask me uh, another question, which is related to yours, and if you tell me what are your hurdles, mm -hmm. okay, that could be one of the answers. And and I'll answer your question. I'll tell you, we had those cases, and 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 you just have to keep your fingers crossed the whole time that in case government change, uh, nothing stops. Now, if you have a good model, and if you have good partners. And if you have good uh, results and, and the government change happens, let's say, uh, uh, halfway, mm -hmm. um, your chances of this program continuing is more than 95%. Mm -hmm. But if the government change happens right in the beginning of the program, your chances of this program not continuing um, is around 60 to 70%. So it's, it's, it's also, uh, so, so your question is related to uh, opportunity and chance, but then um, it, it's on the surrounding. So when government uh, changes, uh, uh, different things happen. Yes. One, you will, you will have a different agenda, and then you never know what was the agenda of the old government compared to what was the agenda of the new government. Government change really uh, affects, but what also affects uh, Alberto is uh, the geopolitical situation in an area as well. Mm -hmm. That also will affect our programming. And, and, and luckily, we don't have a lot of those into the countries that we invest in. And, 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 and most developing countries don't have these big, big issues. Some of them do. But uh, when it comes to conflict and, and, and wars, and it's in a different area where we work, although there's a huge conflict, of course, it's a global conflict, which is the um, in, in the Middle East, that has affected us, but uh, it didn't stop us going. So for the Syrians, for instance, it didn't stop us helping the Syrians, but not in Syria, because we can't help them in Syria. Mm -hmm. So we're helping the Syrians in Jordan and in, 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 in Lebanon. So these things also uh, become a hurdle. Yeah. Tell me, so you've been with the organization for a little bit over 10 years, and the organization's been around for a little bit over 10 years. A amazing ride and obviously some incredible success stories. What does success look like to you in the next 10 years as we go for the Sustainable Development Goals for 2030? What does that look like? The short answer for that is 10 years we've been educating, 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 
And for the next 10 years, we're going to try to develop their skills to get jobs, jobs, jobs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the short answer. So, and, and the long um, um, answer would be, uh, we will continue doing whatever we were, we've been doing towards education. Yeah. And for the next 10 years, uh, we tapped into exactly what the SDG4 has been focusing on newly when it comes to youth and skills and the future jobs. We're talking about the fourth industrial revolution with the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. While we're funding the forum on two different programs for the same thing, for the youth and, and the future jobs, basically, and tying them up with the job market and what uh, uh, what the existing jobs entail. And we take that as a criteria and we develop their skills based on the existing jobs. Right. Uh, and, and, and we're also working on tertiary education. Hopefully us and uh, the Bosch Foundation's funding to an NGO called ESA, E-S-S-A, mm -hmm. uh, um, Education in Sub-Saharan Africa. That's what it stands for. We're hopefully going to develop frameworks and strategies and policies to developing countries on how to have... Um, um, a proper tertiary education that are that will be linked to future jobs as well. So we're talking here about education 4.0. So that's the main aim. I, I know quite a bit about ESSA and Education Social here in Africa and the work they're doing. I know they're trying to develop also a, a a network of female academics in Sub-Saharan Africa. Some really innovative thinking, um, which um, which sounds great. And and let me tell you. Um, um, when you talk about youth and skills and this is all new to the sector. I know that UNICEF, uh, um, of course, I'm sure you know, uh, UNICEF uh, started the, the youth um, uh, initiative, the Global Youth Initiative, which mm -hmm. is Generation Limited. Um, 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 Generation Unlimited uh, is doing a good job. Uh, they're relatively new, so they need to put all their ducks in a row as well. So we're also playing a very big role with Genu with regards to the youth piece and skills. Um, 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 uh, I also sit on their global board, mm -hmm. so I, I, I wear another hat uh, with Genu. Um, for all of these to function, and then the, the, the WEF, the, the forum, is also working on the youth and skills piece. Mm -hmm. You have the ILO, you have the World Bank, and you have different NGOs and partners, uh, sorry, different NGOs and implementers around the world which are doing a similar piece, and each one is doing a fragment of youth and skills and future jobs, mm. and they don't overlap. So fragmentation in this field is good because there isn't one organization which spears or, or, or spearheads this whole thing. Mm -hmm. So what we did actually last December, we united them. So I started lobbying at in September at the UN General Assembly meeting with all of them because all of them are our partners and we're funding all of them with the exception of the ILO at that time. Mm -hmm. And we told them, why don't we convene in Geneva during the, uh, uh, the, the, the Global Refugee Summit Uh, or a Global Refugee Forum of the UNHCR, and a day before that, if we can streamline our efforts, all of us, oh, sorry, you guys streamline all of your efforts towards one path globally towards youth skills and the future jobs. And, and, and that was a really successful gathering of ours. It was a half a day Uh, um, um, gathering, we I think we met. Uh, the workshop went on for five hours, mm -hmm. and, and UNICEF through Generation Unlimited they end up signing an MOU with the ILO, and 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 I was like, wow, um, we did something here. So if you think, uh, if you're going to ask me what we're going to do in the next 10 years, youth skills and future jobs, this is what we're going to have a big focus on. Um, let's get those young people into some jobs. 
let's sit with the private sectors globally through the WEF and, and, and the ILO and Generation Unlimited and the World Bank and others to see what kind of jobs they would need in the future so we can set the criteria, set the training that is needed from today. We don't want to wait 10 more years until 2030 to do that. So that's the role we're playing. Um, early childhood uh, development and girls' education in, in fragile contexts and emergencies and, and, and humanitarian settings is very important. So we're going to work on that as well when it comes to um, uh, uh, the education thematic of it. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the main two. But to convey all of this message globally, it's going to be very difficult, Alberto, to ask other donors and, 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 and UN agencies and NGO to to shift or, or to enhance their mandates to have these components in mm-hmm. because they, they've been working for many, many years and or decades on, on a certain mandate. So, and, and, and looking at the youth piece and how financing in education is a big issue as well. The private sector is not there when it comes to education. Yes. All the funding is going to health. And yes, health is important, but education is, is at par with health and, and it has the same importance. Two and a half percent of global humanitarian funding goes towards education. Only 2.5% of humanitarian funding, which 1% of that goes towards emergencies. So you see how education uh, is, is, is neglected, but that's not going to stop us. And um, what we did, uh, because I also sit um, at the Education Cannot Wait uh, mm-hmm. fund uh, that Gordon Brown uh, uh, spearheads uh, with uh, a couple of other UN agencies. Uh, so GPE, UNICEF, and Gordon Brown, they're the co-chairs of ECW. He's the founder, of course. Um, and I took advantage, me being on that board, and I told Gordon, I want to announce that Dubai Cares will be convening with all of you, unanimously taking all the content with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the UAE and Expo 2020 Dubai to convene the world's largest summit on education. Mm-hmm. And the Dates are set. It's going to be in March 17th to 19th of 2021, next year. And we called it Rewired. So we're going to rewire education, Alberto, all together. We're going to create content from all the actors, education actors around the world. The press release has already been uh, um, um, sent out. It's been announced. uh, It's been almost two months since the announcement. And now we have appointed a think tank to travel all around the world, to uh, most of our partners who can help create all this content. I just want to emphasize that this is not a Dubai Cares event. This is an education event. It's a global event. We're just convening it on behalf of the sector. We're going to invest our money into it, and we're going to get the private sector also to fund it, and the content will be created by everyone, and we are just the convener. So it's going to be a big gathering, three days, and it's going to cover three main components. Guess what? It's mm-hmm. going to be on the youth and skills piece. Mm-hmm. It's going to be on financing and education and innovation and education. And hopefully the private sector will also play a very big role. So through that, I'm trying to convey the message, the importance of the youth, the skills and the future jobs and education 4.0. So you heard it here. It's time to start booking your flights. Absolutely. You, you expect an email from us very soon. Save the date, by the way. <laughs> That's very good. Just one thing. I normally ask people how confident or optimistic they feel about the Sustainable Development Goals for 2030. One of the things I loved about uh, your website, Dubai Cares, and one of the initiatives you have is this Bookings 2030, where you basically have a picture of a child and you say, book a flight with this child in 2030 or book a lecture with this child in, 20, in 2030. 
or book a checkup. And essentially, you're you're helping those individuals who are who are visiting your website to visualize what that child will look like as a professional pilot, as a professional uh, doctor, as a professional academic. So now it's the time to start booking and trying to visualize what that looks like. And I thought that was sensational. I really thought that was very creative and imaginative way of, of, of helping people conceptualize charity and, and, uh, and development work in a different light. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear this, uh, Alberto. I'm, 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 I'm just, uh, um, I'm just shaking my head left and right. and just <laughs> thinking of, because we've been talking in the office for 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 many months. I love Should we put bookings 2030? Are people getting it? No one's putting any attention. I love And it. now it's coming from you. Trust me. Now I know what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to really advocate. If you're telling me it's that incredible. you got the whole idea, I'm going to push this and I'm going to get hopefully the sector to help me with it. Well, Thank you very much. I, I encourage good. everybody to take a look at that. <laughs> um, look, just before we wrap up. A key takeaway sure. for our listeners, what's that salient message you'd like to share with our listeners before they wrap up the show? Um, we have 75 million children and youth in emergencies. Mm. We have over 400 million children and youth. If we don't invest more into them, into their education today, I'm emphasizing on the word more. So if investments stay as they are today and we don't invest more, 400 million children will not finish high school by 2030. That's almost half of the population of Europe, if you just think about it. And and if we do nothing today again, when it comes to youth or to the children of today, who some of them would be youth, 800 million children and youth in 2030 will graduate, will finish high school, but they won't have the adequate skills for the job market at that time. Mm -hmm. So these are very crazy numbers. 800 million is the size of Europe almost. And if, if you're going to put 400 million as a number, 400 million is the uh, Arab population. So I'm trying to put different demographics in, in, in different ways mm. here. Education, as I mentioned earlier, only two and a half percent of global humanitarian funding goes towards education. We don't need any scientific evidence or research to prove that education can eliminate poverty. Education is everything. We won't be talking over Skype via Internet or Ethernet or whatever technology we're using if it wasn't for education. Listeners won't be hearing this if it wasn't for education. Mm -hmm. Our medicines, our health systems won't be perfect, won't be cost effective if it's not for education. So let's have this as a new movement and let's take Rewired, the education summit that I've mentioned, mm -hmm. as the platform that will change all of this. Because you know what I did, Alberto, before speaking to you and before announcing the press release and everything? Yeah. In September, I had dinner with Gordon Brown and I told him on what I'm planning to do. And uh, and I told him, I want every single action item that will come out of Rewired. I wanted to be taken by you at the Global Education Forum. You know, he established the Global Education Forum. Mm -hmm. He's co-chairing with UNESCO. And the, the members are the member states of the world, basically. And I told him, I want you to own the action items. And you carry it on and work upon them year on year until 2030. And he gave me the green light. And if you go to the press release, we speak about that. 
So we're taking rewired seriously. These numbers that I have mentioned, plus the the, the, the funding that is coming towards education, uh, uh, we have to work on it. And let's hopefully have all the listeners advocating towards education because that's the only way for our growth and salvation as human beings. Mm. That's my point. That's wonderful. Exciting times. I'm feeling quite optimistic that you're going to be able to achieve a great deal of success uh, with with your organization and with your partners as well, which is uh, really wonderful. I really thank you sincerely for your time today. I know you're extremely busy, Tarek, but it's been great speaking with you again. And I uh, look forward to catching up with you again, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, whether it's in Dubai or London or D.C. or who knows where. To our listeners, thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please share widely as well. It makes a huge difference. Tarek, once again, thank you so much to you and to the whole team. And here's to continued success and to a wonderful conference in 2021 as well. Thank you, Alberto. And thank you for giving, giving us this chance again. Thank you very much.